All right, friends, Zig coming in on the top. Today on the show, we have Kira Rossler, a bass player extraordinaire. You might know her work from Black Flag, Dose, Awkward, but we're here to talk about her solo career. She has her first solo album coming out. It's titled Kira, all caps, and it's on Robot Kitten Records. It's available now. You can get a physical copy and a digital download off Robot Kitten Records. I became aware of Kira's bass playing, not from a black flag but rather from dose my bass player it's like you gotta check out this record it's mike watt and kira from black flag it's like what and it's the most like there's there's this tonality from a dose record that you don't you don't hear anywhere else it's got this warm tone and i don't know if it's the double bass or it's the intervals they use we kind of get into that a little bit but it was it's pretty profound because it's two instruments you're like there's no way they're going to compete they're not going to fit but Kira found a way to make him fit. When listening to a Dose record, it's hard to tell who's who's who, who's writing what, who's saying what. I mean, you can hear Kira singing, but like, uh, just as a musician, you're like wondering who's who. And after listening to Kira's new record, you can definitely hear Kira's voice pronounced throughout Dose and definitely in this new record. And what's cool about this new record is that like it takes it takes like a Dose uh, Dose tonality and Dose like song structure and adds multiple layers to it there's violin there's drums there's guitar it's really really rad so we're going to listen to the track avoiding off kira's new record
Avoiding by Kira Rossler off Kira, available now on Robot Kitten Records. It was an honor to talk to a musician as profound as Kira. And what's so cool is here you have a legendary bass player, someone who's been in some of the most notable punk bands, and she's still trying to find herself. She's not staying stagnant, she's not accepting that, but keeps diving deeper into herself and finding new ways to express. That's inspiring. The willingness to start from ground zero and try new things so cool i can't recommend this record enough got to go to robotkittenrecords.com to get your copy of it um before we get to the interview if you guys can like rate review subscribe to the podcast and all the podcast platforms it helps me keep talking to inspiring people and sharing those insights with you so without further ado here's my conversation with kira do you remember any dutch <laughs> I have uh, I have some licorice here, cats in Oren, cat's ears. Um, I uh, if I see something or you know something triggers, I will remember it, but I can't necessarily just pull it out of my head without mm. something triggering, you know. Gotcha. How old were you? When I you- also- I, I was eight till 11. I was okay. uh, in Curacao. Uh, and when I came back, I studied um, other languages. And that's part of it. I've been sort of more in depth in Spanish over the later years. So, so that seems to have sort of pushed out some Dutch. And I was quite young, you know. So yeah. although I learned it very easily, I also seem to have forgotten it very easily. <laughs> well, if you don't, if you don't use it, right? And if you're learning other languages, it absolutely yeah. absolutely yeah um at that time is that when you started playing piano i started before i even went to to curacao i was six years old when i started uh, classical piano and uh and then when we moved to the caribbean i was eight and then uh around 11 around the time that we left curacao i quit piano okay um do you think there was like a, a correlation between the language and the music aspect of it of like learning. Well, I I always think that you know with 
kids especially learn a language early. And if you're going to get into music, piano is the, by far the best instrument, right? It makes so much sense. One button makes one note, you know, it's, yes. it, there's, there's a logic to it that just is extremely easy to take in for a kid. And then forever they will have that foundation. And I think I learned a language as an adult so much easier because I had learned a language as a kid. So I think it's super important to get exposed to that stuff young because that the young brain has such a capacity for for picking this stuff up i agree i agree and it's it's interesting like um kind of like a later on uh, so an adult who maybe didn't dive into like some like kind of early language or or even music has like a it, you've been speaking one thing for so long you're like that's that's what i got you know what i mean like it seems much right. more it's the- it seems way more foreign to try to dump, jump into a language for them. I think that's very true. There isn't that a level of detachment. I mean, I my times tables, I had to translate to Dutch when I got back to America because I learned them in Dutch. And for a long time, I had to translate because your brain, especially with memorization, right? It yeah. makes sense. So I think that once your brain has that sense of the translation also pronunciation as you if you stay in the same language for till you're an adult your concept of vowel sounds and everything are so established you don't have this idea that that vowel sound could be something else right right it's and and i don't i find a lot of comparisons with language and music and like um even being able to switch or like switch into a different instrument or a different style of music is kind of a lot like with a language. Like if you really stay in your lane and don't venture too far out, you don't. Uh, it becomes equally as a, a more difficult to to express yourself in that way too. You know, like yeah, I'm a horribly atta- I'm horribly attached to being a bass player, and I can only express myself with my bass guitar. I feel completely lost with any other instrument now because I, I just it's been my way. It's like a part of me. Right, right. Well, I mean, you can still play other types of music is what I was going for with that. Like, I mean, to, to switch between piano like and bass, there's the – I agree with what you said, and I noticed that with working with kids, that piano and drums seem to be like seem to be like down. Like, this is how this works. Stick to circle, finger to key. Like, you know, there's yeah, nothing yeah. hidden to it. Um, With a, a guitar or bass or violin, it's, it's harder to, like, kind of gauge how you make that the initial approach the, con- uh, the concept yeah is yeah. it's more of a conceptual thing that takes a second to to grasp and it, it, and there's more physicality there's more like a you gotta move your wrist you can hold the guitar wrong you know <laughs> mm-hmm. you sure can <laughs> um so you have an album out it's your name kira in all caps um mm-hmm. and i've been diving into the record since uh since we sent some emails back and forth and um, the second song really spoke to me, and I found a video today actually of that of uh, avoiding, and like mm-hmm. there was a, a underwater pictures, and those are your dad's pictures, right? That's correct. My dad was an underwater photographer for many years. Yeah, and like, uh, is so, is there a correlation to that time in your life with this song, uh, with care with avoiding? 
No, uh, no. I really, the the thing that drew me into to include some underwater photos was just this this consistent blue theme that mm. you will also see with the the artwork on the record and and the hair and the base. Right, there's this sort of recurring blue theme, and so the underwater made so much sense to me to pick some very blue shots not all underwater shots look that blue i specifically picked ones that had that blue element to them so it just uh, it was something i knew was out there obviously because i've been looking at my dad's photos my whole life and uh i wanted to include them that's awesome um it's interesting that the concept it was a because these songs were kind of written throughout the years right this is like a collection of songs it is a story basically that starts about 13 years ago. The first song, Silently, was was written about 13 years ago, and the last song uh, was probably 2020. I mean, is that it's that recent? So it's a whole uh, it's a whole chronological series of events and emotions. And in blue, is blue the kind of consistent emotion in a way, or like? It's it's really interesting that the whole concept of it's blue. Well, the blue just it, because I'm such an audio artist. When it came time to think about things like the artwork or the video, did you see the ghosts video? Yeah, yeah. So so it came time to start translating my very audio sensibility into visuals. It was not easy at first, and. Um, I had to sort of, you know, find my voice, if you will, in, in the visual realm, which it was, uh, we talked about it, you know, if you haven't done that as growing up, I hadn't ever been much of a visual artist, right? So so that, that coming up with a voice that way, and as I started imagining in my head what an album cover might look like or what, you know, what how this might go, the the blue base with the blue hair which i've done in the past in just in terms of a of a uh, look if you will uh, i started envisioning myself uh doing pictures that way and um and it's sort of just it, then i bought some fab this fabric that was sort of shiny blue and you know so so it was just how i was finding my voice it's my visual voice became blue the 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 record i would say aside from one song which does actually have blue the the words in there um i hadn't necessarily at all uh thought about the color blue when i was uh writing the music it's very much a story of love and loss and uh and that uh, blue color thing was sort of a, the last part of translating it into some visuals to support the record okay yeah it's because it's there's it's interesting that all these songs kind of have been written in that that longevity because like they have a they and i don't know if it's just the production or everything but they they fit together really well and that's amazing the string like a narrative from that long you know but i think that that just shows the emotional resonant resonances in these songs hold true um, with, um, with that ghost video that when the piano moves by itself, that was pretty good. <laughs> that was cool. <laughs> that was, 
That was that was pretty cool. Yeah, there were ghosts in the room when we were doing that. <laughs> um, with listening, because when I listened to this record, I went back and listened to the Dose records, and hearing your fir- this being your first solo project really brought out your work within the Dose records because I've heard those for 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 a long time and like me and my bass player will go back and forth and like who's who the tonalities are so similar with you and Mike <laughs> and like but after listening to this record I, I can hear how prominent it sounds like you were within writing those songs um so like one thing I kind of wanted to like to have like a narrative that that's expand or you know that has been that long and that thought about like with writing music do you have like a do you have like a creative routine or practice you do like are you like always do you set aside a little bit of time a day to like work on writing or do you like uh is it inspiration struck so i um i am not at all a prolific songwriter so i uh, i do in a sense have to have uh some sort of seed which is experiential, if you will. It, it's something that comes into my head and then there's this concept or this word or whatever, right? And so it starts as this little seed. But my process has been, and this has been for many years now, has been to, to sort of have about 20 songs, which is probably what I have right now, sort of in some state of completeness. And if I am feeling a new seed, right? Then I'll start something new. But if I'm not, then I will take one of the ones that is in its infancy and push it along. Right. So there's, Mm. so there's, there's oftentimes, you know, there's been many songs sort of in the work. So like these songs that are on this record, aren't the only songs that happened in that period. Right. There were other songs too. These just hung together best as a unit. Um, so my process, again, is is oftentimes early in the morning. This is why, like, the virtual band thing has been my way of doing things forever because I tend to work the best early in the morning before. I mean, I work a job that's relatively um, concentration intensive. So by the end of the day, I'm pretty useless to sit down uh, and do stuff. So so the morning has been the time I carve out at least during the week to uh, to spend a little time on the base. And that's not every day, but it's a lot of days. And then, um, and then, like I said, I might have a bunch going and I'll look at my little spreadsheet with my little list and where they're at. And one of them I'll push forward that morning or or I will, if I have a new inspiration, maybe start something new. So, um, so it's very much a iterative process to get the song from start to finish. You know, I might just lay down one rough bass and, or even one part and put it down and go away and come back. Right. So it's very much a broken up process. It doesn't just flow out of me as this complete thing. Right. And with words, most of the time that little seed or set of words, um, you know, the bass comes first, the first bass on the song comes first and then, maybe the words start to take shape. Very rarely do I write out a whole set of lyrics before I do anything on bass. I have done that on occasion, but most often the words are forming 
you know, taking shape to a baseline that I that is already kind of expressing what I'm trying to express. Okay, that's a so it's a it's a it's kind of it's a balance of both. It's like the inspiration strikes, and then you kind of like have a system like a practice to to nurture it. Right. And if the inspiration doesn't strike, there's always work to be done on these unfinished songs. So so it's it's look, it's time management. Most of us have to work a job. Right. So so you have to manage your time if you want to be a creative person. You have to be able to make a half hour count. So it evolved very much from that necessity. Right. It's that's definitely an an important lesson because like um, I I I kind of have the morning routine as well. Like typically, I'll wake up at five and I'll do like an hour of this, an hour of that, and then like it's time to go. And like you're saying, at the end of the, my like teaching's not as like uh, not as intensive as as like doing the audio work that you do. That's a very focused. Um, I like you got to pay attention to a lot of things. I can I can look left, and if I don't get hit, I'm good. Like, <laughs> but um. Wow. So yeah. So did um was it like you? Well, you've always kind of been a studious, um, uh, dedicated person, right? Because you like during your time with like Black Flag, you were going to college. Yeah. Uh, well, it, when I was um, fifteen, my mom moved away, and and I stayed with my brother. Which um, she did not abandon me, but but I I there was sort of this crossroads. Like I was either going to be self motivating. Or things were going to go south really fast, right? So, so I became that person, you know, who who uh, during punk rock days, and you know, when I was sixteen and, and going to gigs and stuff, I was still getting up and going to school after late nights of gigs, or and doing homework and getting good grades. Like, like that was just sort of part of how I processed life. Was that just because I was doing this other stuff, I couldn't let my quote unquote responsibilities um, fall by the wayside. So I got pretty good at self-motivating when it came to just getting myself up and going to school and studying. And, and then, yeah, I, I, uh, I started going to UCLA and I was three years into UCLA when, uh, when black flag started. So I, the idea of quitting just, just didn't make sense to me at all. And I wouldn't do it. I said, look, I'll take time off but I'm going to finish because I had one year left. Right. So that one year took two years because I was <laughs> taking time off, but I did complete it. You know, I, I couldn't just give up. I, I don't like to, to give up on things. <laughs> well, I think that the, the dedication be able to pull off and kind of live these two separate lives is like, uh, it's such a, did you like, was there someone like you, was it kind of going on around you? Like people not living up to these things because like, I don't I, like, I kind of did the same thing where I was going to school full time, but anytime there was a gig offer, I was like, yes. And like the, the early mornings and the, the, the pots of coffee, like, um, could never do enough. But like, there's, I, I, I got to see like some of my friends who like, uh, didn't really get the, to really see the, the the academic beauty of music and and still play like the dive bars and the out of town gigs and that kind of motivated me to try to live in both worlds a little bit was there was there like an inspiration from being around all this and like trying to keep it going or is it just like you, i got to finish why i start type deal 
Well, I, um, my big brother has always been a big influence on me and Paul took a very different road. He, um, he went to Northridge to study piano music. Uh, and, uh, and then when a tour came up with the screamers, the band he was playing in, he quit and, uh, and music was his thing, right? So it was his, it was just, it was as if nothing, he could do nothing else. But I saw that as a, um, a difficult road. I admired it greatly, but it seemed like a really difficult road. The idea of making a living at music seemed really scary to me. And I had lived enough of a sort of uncertain childhood that, I, you know, the concept of being poor was very real to me and, and it wasn't something that I wanted. <laughs> so I was uh, motivated somewhat, but just by watching others struggle with the realities of trying to put, you know, food in their mouths and a roof over their heads. And, and, and I probably as much fear as anything, you know, that drove me to, to always have a plan B, like I would have loved to earn a living at music. And when I, uh, when I was in Black Flag, I just wanted to finish. I didn't necessarily think I would just get a job. I would still keep doing music, but I would have that degree if I needed it, right? right? So it was almost like I just was scared to end up not being able to support myself. Got it. Yeah, yeah. It's No, like that, that makes sense, especially if you got like others to kind of show you, show you the way, because like with um, with the screamers like, it, well, your brother seems uh, like he's running the whole label now, like, but the just to run the to do the road bit that's that's hard work. That's that's endless work. <laughs> and, well, he does not run the label, but he runs the studio. So he okay. uh, he's more of the producer. He's more of the 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 actual music production side, and he works at Kitten Robot Studio. And he has some very uh, key colleagues in the label. He's an, he's a member of the label, but he has some very important uh, people helping with the day to day of the label or making it happen. Really. Um, and that's and the label is is relatively new in the scheme of things. The studio's been going on for quite some time. Oh, okay, so it was like a, a recent combo wombo of it. Like, how much did he have to do with a uh, with a uh, your record, Paul? Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, like I said, he has he's greatly influenced me. Um, so so the songs all start in my room basically. Yeah. But um. We usually, the process, once I have sent them to actually Cleveland, Ohio, where my great friend Glenn Brown lives, uh, oh, he no has put some beautiful guitar parts. He's an amazing guitarist, and he put some beautiful guitar work on this record. I have a drummer who lives here in L.A. who who played on his own. We never got together. <laughs> he put uh, drums on a lot of these songs, and then... The last stage is generally me going to Kitten Robot Studio with Paul and um, and sort of figuring out what else is needed. Maybe he'll he'll add some um, keyboard or uh, synth strings or whatever. Like, what is it that we feel like is missing here, right? So we'll bat that around, and then and then final production. So he's very much involved in me. Uh, in the final stages of making it a, a sort of complete song. And as you mentioned, the production, aside from the fact that my bass is the best sounding bass in the whole world, 
it's uh, it's all a, a result of working with him and he and I collaborating to make the songs sound like they're in the same world. It is a good sounding bass <laughs> on all the records. That bass cuts through. Wow. So <laughs> it um, that's correct. Okay. Okay. So when you're when you're writing these songs, are you you tracking bits? Not just not just like kind of writing, but you're recording bits. And then right, so oh, Pro Tools, okay, okay. right, right. So Pro Tools has become my current tool, right? I've, I used to use four-track cassette decks back in the days, right? I, so I've always had a tool here in my house so that I could record ideas and then put them down because, like I said, I might only have a half an hour, right? So, yeah. so I, 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 I can't remember it all in my head. So, so yeah, there will be you know, recordings done here, parts of songs, whatever. Like I said, these work in process are all here on the computer, on the drive. Uh, and I can open up that Pro Tools session and work on it um, if I decide to work on the song that day. So, and Paul uses the same tool there at Kitten Robot Studio. So I can then bring that recorded material to him. Cool. That's, a, that's such a, like, because like, I don't know. It's like a, uh, for me, uh, the kind of digital, like kind of putting together, sending tracks is new, you know, during to the dur during uh, not during due to the current climate, it became more familiar. But like, sure, sure. it's such a it's such a cool way to be able to have multiple minds kind of fill in. And uh, this record, it, it's everything that is added to it makes us it's like the perfect level of like space. It's not like it's like the you could tell the these are kind of bass started and like like the i think it was the second track avoidance there's like this violin was that like an that was at a digital string or was that a no 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 petra hayden is an amazing singer and violinist and she is on the record in in a few songs with okay. her voice and or with her violin her violin is also very present in a song called it can't be and um but avoiding she and I wrote sort of together because Petra Hayden has records out where she does all the instruments with her voice. She did mm. the who sells out with entirely with her voice. She's done, you know, movie soundtracks. You should check her out. She is incredible. So she's a friend and she and I at one point had sort of sat down and, and that sort of vocalization which without words that's in avoiding at the beginning parts that ba -da -ba -ba -da -ba, all yeah. of that that's very petra oriented and that's in a way my tribute and to her style of work um so i had written the baseline and then and then we evolved that whole thing and then the idea of in a way the lyrics are two different perspectives on the same basic thing so so we really push that to the limit she sings the voice in the middle and i'm singing these two sort of side voices with really totally different words yeah it was like they they counter they counter each other as this counterpoint and like sonically right. that happens too with the violin and the bass like right it's a that's what i found that the, the second song really like resonated with me like that and like oh that so with that writing process, kind of given your like um, routine, like in the morning to yourself, is it harder to write with other people? Or yeah, uh, yes, it was. It was. It's very unusual for me to do that. It just, um, it just happened that I had I had her captive at my house, and I, <laughs> and we were sort of, you know, my idea was to sort of let's 
let's play with this. And I, I brought up a song that, you know, I had started and I said, well, let's play with this one, you know, so it went like that. And, um, and with some people, you know, in the past with some, some people, it's extremely easy to collaborate with and create with. And some people it's not, I'm sort of spoiled in that, you know, I've always sort of just had my own setup and, and, and I don't, if someone wants me to play bass on their thing, it's like, well, just send it to me. You know, I don't necessarily want to go in and try to hash it out. Partly that's again, insecurity. I, I'm not a studio musician. It's not that easy for me to just write something on the spur of the moment. I like to have, uh, to have a chance to write something. I also don't like to solo without sort of writing something ahead. I don't like to freeform jam that much. Um, just don't have confidence, I guess. Well, also, you know, it's like you can say in a freeform way, you can say nothing out of something, or you can really think about what you're going to say and make a statement. And sometimes, yeah, yeah. To me, some of the jamming stuff, it, it seems like it's more for the player than for the listener. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and I just like to to sort of take an, a little extra care with the with the results, I guess. Well, and that's and that that count that carries through. I feel like like I think some of the most amazing like uh, improvisers sound like they wrote it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, very much. So, but that's a, that's a whole nother skill set and whole nother thought process. But um, yeah, I can. That's do you do you get a lot of people like sending you tracks to do stuff like that? No, nah, not at all. I um, my brother sometimes, you know, he, like I said, he's in a studio with different bands all the time. He has occasionally sent me songs, or I have gone in to record bass for something he's working on. Um, very occasionally someone has asked me to do stuff and I, I generally am very cautious with what I commit to because, uh, you know, my time is not always something I can control when I'm in the middle of a, a work project. So I don't like to have other people waiting on me. Yeah. Yeah. Then, yeah, that, that's gotta be a lot. Um, especially with doing the sound uh, work that you're doing. Um, so kind of like a, the dive into when did you first start writing like your own songs it's because i always found one to play bass and sing is much more difficult <laughs> than like guitar like you you know because I mean? like guitar you're kind yes, of strumming i totally know i totally know what you mean look it's you basically to my mind if you're going to sing it and play it you have to kind of write it with that in mind that you're right. going to sing and play it because the rhythm of the song and the rhythm of the bass is very defined, right? So if the singing has no real connection, which it doesn't have to, it just has a melody that's sort of floating over the top of it, it's very difficult to have your brain split in two and have one thing very rhythmic and, you know, thinking about the timing and, the you know, really got the metronome going and then have the other thing floating on top and have that all going on at the same time. So, uh, yes, it's extremely difficult to do uh, live playing. Uh, and also bass is very physical. So, you know, you're sort of grappling with with that <laughs> aspect. But, um, but for the most, you know, most of the songs that I've written, beca because of sort of how they evolve, I, I can sort of back 
learn them in such a way that I can play them. I've been going through a little of that lately. Um, and there are some songs on the record that I couldn't play and sing at the same time. And there's several that I can and have. So like, and so I imagine that kind of, with that in mind, does that, when, when you write the melody for, for like a song that, that come, does that come in play or do you just write it as it is and figure the live perspective out later? Cause I, I always thought like with, when I go to write a melody, I can find like a, a, a voice within the, like the guitar that's relative to it. But I found like with, with a, when you sing and play bass, there's two separate registers and that's like, you, <laughs> you got to hear the distance, you know? And like, uh, I don't know. So yeah. I, I find that fa like way more challenging to write a melody while singing and playing bass, but all not just the physicality of doing both, but melodically trying to make it s line up right. And I think you well, do. Well, the uh, you know, look, being a bass player, I think that my singing lines tend to be have somewhat rhythmic. They tend to have their own rhythm to them because that's just who I am, right? So I'm not necessarily um, doing as flowy melodies as the next guy because I don't think that way. Um, but no, I never think about playing live when I'm when I'm writing it. I really don't. I, I haven't played live in years, really, and I don't think about can I do this live? Okay. I, it, it very much has to just happen, and it, you know, it's it's organic. And then if I were to think about playing live, I have to pick out what what can I do, what can I do. So at, okay, so it's serving the song and then figuring out when the gig comes. <laughs> yeah, Duh. yeah. For me, it has to be. I mean, I, I just I don't wouldn't ever want to limit myself when I'm in my writing phase and try to, you know, simplify. Right. Uh, so I started writing songs um, when I first got into punk rock and, and I had this band and we were going to, you know, we were playing and we, we didn't have any idea what we were doing because no one knew what punk rock was really. But but we were, I was, you know, the bass player and I was going to, you know, have some of my songs in there. So I started writing these, you know, kind of screaming things <laughs> with these baselines and you know that was the start of me sort of trying to be punk rock but also how to express you know what was cool about punk rock was that they were expressing the anger that a lot of us have inside but can't really figure out how to tap into or or make useful it just feels like this unuseful <laughs> bit of of emotion and with punk rock, there it was, and and I could I could dive into it, I could feel it, and I could express it without it being uh, necessarily a negative thing in in my life, so to speak. So uh, so my beginning songs could could help me, and I started to learn that I could take these emotions I was feeling and and using my bass, you know, get them out. And, and, and to me, that's what music's about, right? Is make people feel things, you know, express yourself and hopefully someone can connect to it. Right. Right. Um, was that wax with two X's that you're writing? These that songs was about? wax. That was my first punk rock band. That was my first band. Uh, really. And that was my first, uh, gig really was wax. And the, was, um, whiskey or or um yes it, we our first gig was at the whiskey coco nice yeah well that that's pretty good for a first gig um but and like I, I don't know like that's even just the one i think 
um, anger and like this pent up rage people have is a very powerful thing. But I think a lot of times it gets put in. It get it, it gets put on like the the clerk at at the 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 coffee place for messing up the order as opposed to being kind of focused into like a an allotted time to let it out, you know, and like to have that. Well, most of us don't have the tools. You know, right. most of us don't know how to express ourselves or how to, you know, I, I would love to think that everybody has some vehicle by which to get their feelings out. But the truth is not everyone, you know, has that artists in a way are lucky to have a channel to express themselves. And, and if somebody really doesn't feel to make any kind of, art visual or audio or whatever like uh, you know they're kind of left with their emotions without a clear path to expressing them that's healthy i agree it's such a blessing to have like an outlet or just a thing you enjoy doing so many people spend so much of their life just trying to find that and yeah. um but what's cool is by you doing what you enjoy doing and expressing yourself in your way, other people, others see that it's possible to do it in their way. And like, yes. And also listening to music can be very cathartic too. I mean, that was the other thing that I realized was when I listened to the punk rock or when I listened to Billie Holiday, those connecting to the, those emotions musically helped me process my own. So one can you know, deep dive deeply in as a listener as well. And I think find some relief. There's nothing wrong with feeling the sadness in someone's song and, and getting, letting it touch your sadness. And I think that's positive, right. Or your anger, you know, so, so you can do it as a listener. Definitely. I definitely agree with that. It's interesting that, um, um, that you say Billie Holiday, cause, um, I was when I was listening through the Dose records, that first Dose record sounds very like swinging, kind of like Americana influenced. Like, well, we covered Billie Holiday eventually, okay. right? All right, all right. Uh, I mean, I've l listen when I I think that all of our musical tastes form at a certain point in our lives, right? So, so for me, when I was about 14, you know, just going in junior high, 13, 14, you know, all these emotions happening and music first starts really connecting to, and, and, uh, and I was handed this cassette of Billie Holiday called Music for Torching at that time. And I was listening to Bowie and I was listening to the Stones, but I was also listening to that. And uh, because that connected to an emotion that others weren't and, and, and I needed that. So it was very early for me that that her ability to very vulnerably, you know, express a feeling, someone else's feeling. I mean, usually it was songs she didn't write, uh, but she was able to to connect to it, and that uh, appeals to me. Um, Definitely. So it's and as far as jazz influence, I think that when you hear Dose, that. A, I had a jazz teacher when I first started bass, but also the um, Mike and I were very interested in finding a way to um, create interplay, right? We weren't interested in one being the 
the bass and one being the melody, right? We wanted to very much have it be equal. And to do that, you really have to get into some syncopation and leaving holes and creating spaces and finding the spaces as the other player, right? So, so jazzy kind of results can happen when you're when you're doing that kind of interplay and and leaving holes and spaces and you're not just playing straightforward rock where you're like no 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 right you you can't do that with two bases in our view and 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 still make it interesting right so you have to start uh opening up the holes and 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 that way i think you know it does hint at jazz somewhat okay i think I think there's a Coltrane and Miles record called Interplay, and um, I, Watt is such a such a big Coltrane fan. I I can't see that not being in any slipping through any music that guy does. But like, a, right. sorry, what? Right, right. He yes, and also, I mean, when I started to do before even Dose, I was recording bedtime stories for my nephews, and I would record one baseline and then I would write a second baseline and I started to explore how to make two bases interesting you know way back then and and you just you know all you have to do is sit down with your bass and try to play with another bass and you realize that it gets muddled pretty quickly unless you have a plan <laughs> so that's wow like there's something because there's something so kind of calming about the like the same tonality like within that or like the same register within bass like so what was like a takeaway from kind of prepping it and then working with mike that made like uh two basses make sense well we were both bass players when we met right so we yeah. were we both and, and not just like yeah that's cool no we were full on like that's who we are we're bass players yeah. right we love the bass. We don't feel limited by the bass, right? So, so if we were going to do something together, um, we decided, yeah. I mean, obviously, we we're both going to play bass, and that meant there wasn't room for anybody else, and we were going to have to figure out this conundrum of how to make it uh, work with us playing together because we had done Minute Flag, and that was a very difficult session for me. I felt like there was no room. Hmm. So, so I, you know, I kind of already been down that road playing with Mike. So, so it was pretty early on that this idea that it was going to have to be written. It's all about how it's written, right? So, so that there, there are spaces and that the other base has spaces to work with. Is there like a kind of like, because I feel with those records, there's this harmonic kind of tone between like, uh, are you thinking like, not thinking, but and I'm, I know every song's different with their approach. But as far as like, is someone like kind of taking a third or like a fourth in between when they write their line, or is it just, or is it kind of here's the basis? It's much more gut, gut feel than that. Okay. You know, when I yeah. when I write now, um, I, there's a metronome in my head, but I'm not gonna play on every beat. You know, that's just kind of how I play now. I, I don't play on every beat. You might send me a rock song to play on I still might not play on the one because that's kind of how I think now is that I think that leaving spaces with bass guitar is hugely powerful it's just as powerful as playing is is not playing right. so um so it's uh so it's very organic in in the approach once you say well I'm not going to just go blah, 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 all the time then you start saying okay uh 
and you pick up the bass and you start, you know, you, your click tracks going in your head and you're, and you're leaving holes and you're coming up with interesting lines with spaces built in. It just uh, feels natural once you, you know, sort of head down this path. That's beautiful. It's uh, Victor Wooten's got this thing about um, music being like life and like there needs to be rest in it. You go to bed every night. If not, it'd be the same day and you wouldn't remember what happened before. <laughs> you know, there you go. And I th- there you go. I think that's a very like you, what you said uh, resonates with that. And that's a very powerful statement, because as soon as the bass drops out in a part, you notice it you know right right it's huge right so those spaces like they're effective they tell you something as much as the notes right silence being the loudest dynamic yeah um um, that's so cool um to kind of like jump into like songwriting again like i read somewhere that uh um it was either while you were touring with black flag but you and um mike started right or you wrote some songs for mike um, and then that was the end of the context within the interview. I read that. <laughs> yeah, that happens. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, you know, they take one little bit out of an interview usually. Anyway, um, so, yes, uh, Mike, basically in 1985, the Minutemen played on the on like the first week of the of this four month tour I was on. And he said to me, as you know, but kind of as he was leaving, you should write some lyrics and send them to me. So I uh, had, you know, hours in the van and such time to uh, to explore this idea. And I wrote some lyrics for for initially that were initially uh, for the Minutemen. And then that became something that I I did. You know, not for a lot of songs, but there were a set of songs that I I, I wrote the lyrics for that I sent to him that he. Uh, wrote music for and and did with the bands both uh, Minutemen and Firehose. And was it a was it the one that you guys covered with Dose about words being the truth, or were or were these some other like what tracks were they? <laughs> uh, well, uh, the Minutemen tracks. I mean, there's been a bunch. You know, there's one called Understanding. I think that was Firehose. There, uh, a three-way tie for last. The Minutemen record has several songs that I wrote from that tour um but and then there's also songs though you have to be careful because there's also songs that paul that mike stole stole is a strong word took from those and turned into firehouse songs with lyrics that were maybe instrumental songs in those so so it all gets kind of you know fudged together a little bit but um but I mean, the, there's credits out there. They they gave me credit for the song. You can you can look up the lyrics for Minutemen and Firehose songs, and you'll know which ones I wrote. They tend to be the really sort of personal ones, <laughs> you know. Yeah. As is my like, you know, I tend to write things that are that are a little more from the personal's perspective, and 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 they stand out a little bit, and especially the Minutemen because the you know yeah the topics of the Minutemen songs didn't tend to be quite so uh exposed right it seems like they kind of had like their identity as a group um not that 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 music wasn't personal to them but like it seems like it's kind of a group mentality and like the but um that's cool that's really cool so with some of the dose records i know some of the tracks are just labeled like or named uh named numbers 
were yes. those, were those like kind of just mis- takes that didn't that uh, that was that in order? Because I noticed like on both <laughs> records, I, this and I'm probably digging for stuff, but I'm not. Uh, That's okay. It's no. It's very. It's it's very simple. When you're writing an instrumental song and you kind of like uh, something musically and you kind of dig into it. Um, and but it didn't necessarily have words, right? And 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 you don't necessarily have a specific name for it. Some of those we we started doing this numbering thing. It became a real problem because <laughs> because it, you need you really actually need something more to define that song versus the other song. So it became as we got to six and seven was the last one. It became. Or no, there's eight too because there's a video of number eight. Um, it just became harder and harder to just look at a set list, right, and see number seven, and you're a little bit, you know, nervous because you're at the gig and go, oh, that's that one, you know. So it actually was a it was sort of a detriment, but it was in a way just uh, it's an instrumental song which doesn't have words attached to it. So you know, this is the next one of those. <laughs> Got it, got it. Because I was curious if, like, because on both records there's numbers, if it was one yeah. list that got split between two records. No, nope. no, it New was list. just that once in a while a song would get written without a clear title, and then it would just get a number, and then that became, like I said, not ideal, you know, because as you have a bunch of songs and as, as time passes, you know, your memory isn't the same as it used to be, and, and it got to be a, a bit problematic and and so more more of the instrumentals have names as as you get further into the dose catalog <laughs> that's awesome um but um one uh, another um correlation i guess between dose and um your solo record i was wondering was uh on the second record there's the maybe it's not the second record but the second one i heard it's a paw print from a, a very floofy looking dog. Is that the same dog that's in the painting on That is that is Umbrito's paw, yes. And that is Umbrito <laughs> on the cover of my record. Yes, we were we uh I, that was numero cuatro. And when I thought about what the cover should look like, I thought, well, the dog looks like he's putting up like if we were to put up the number four with our hand, right? That's what a dog's uh, pop okay. looks like, right? So, so that was how I came up with the idea. And then my husband actually took that picture of Ombrito's paw, and we used it for numero cuatro. That's awesome. <laughs> um, um, and kind of like, so, uh, did you do the painting of the dog then? No, this amazing artist named Fred Ahern drew it. It is actually a drawing from a picture. Um, the um, the year he died, uh, my husband uh, asked his friend Fred Ahern to to do a portrait. He does dog portraits and has done some beautiful other work. And he, for Christmas that year, I got uh, the portrait of Ombrito. Uh, and and when I was talking to the label and they were they wanted me to put out a solo record, I said, okay, I'm going to put this on the cover. And they were not that <laughs> psyched about it. But I think in the end, with the way it came out, I don't know if you've seen the flip side of the CD, but on the flip side, the frame is empty and I'm there with my base. So when they saw the artwork completed with a complete thought, I think it helped a little bit uh, sell the idea of having the the boy on the cover. But for me, it always made sense. I mean, this story 
uh, he's a big part of the story. Yeah. That's awesome. That's all like, do, do your dogs when you, okay, I have cats. I got two yes. cats. And as soon as I practice, especially when I practice bass stuff, it drives them crazy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Do you notice that with your doggos, or are they cool? No, my dogs seem seem cool. The, the one time I can tell you they had a big reaction is I, I have this uh, two bass band with a stand up bass player named Devin Hoff. Uh, it's called Awkward, and uh, and when he if when he he would come over with his stand up bass, that would freak them out big time. With the bow, yeah. there was something about the bowing and the big you know inanimate object itself uh, that would freak them out a little bit. Yeah. So, like working with a with awkward working with like a a stand up bass like that. Did you notice like was it kind of similar finding those spaces in between, or because well, my writing process still, of course, you know, uh, would include spaces. But but one thing we noticed was what the Boeing is that creates such a different sound that that it is a lot easier to. be in this similar registers, but it sounds totally different. Whereas, yeah. um, and he sometimes plucks the stand up pace. And when he would do that, it would be more like us both playing, you know, and we would have to be a little more conscious of the, the spaces and the, uh, the interplay. So it depend it would depend, but certain songs he would play, he would bow them and it would, uh, it, it's very much creates like it's a whole different instrument, but in that similar register. When I, I read, um, that you said someone asked you about bass players that influence you and you said, um, the people you play with influence you the most. Was there was there someone that you've played with that really sparked this ability, like that really started that self knowledge expression? Like, the, uh, no, that's, that's well, a- I mean, the, no, not necessarily okay. the the personal sort of right. I just have always, you know, when I go to write lyrics, I, I just can't see writing about things that aren't coming from my soul you know I, I just never had anything to say that wasn't extremely personal but but the like I mean the guitar player that I told you about who lives in Cleveland I mean I played he was in wax when I was a teenager wow. I've known him much of my life yeah. right so so he was hugely influential in early parts of my bass playing career and he was a, he, he's a, a rock and roll guitar player and and I uh, when I first started playing with him I was not not rocking you know <laughs> and he would help me a lot with how to you know what what rock music how to actually get grooves going and stuff like that was just not uh not something I was there yet on you know I could play the notes I could execute <laughs> the things but I had to learn to to rock out and to groove and uh and then Mike you know of course by playing with him all these years you know there's just been this this education on on the two bass music, which I was already, you know, in love with, but but you know, struggling through the bass wars with him, um, definitely, you know, influenced and changed, you know, me completely as a bass player. So, you know, I'd say, and my brother has influenced me in in my life as well as in my music, you know. So, it just, I can admire any kind of player, you know, when I listen and I do have people I listen, I, I always sort of think that the best player is what does, 
they do what's perfect for that band, right? Yeah. Like Paul McCartney is perfect for the Beatles, you know. Yeah. Dusty Hill plays exactly what's right for ZZ Top, you know. Yeah. Or played, I should say now. But um but uh you know that's always been my thing is you have to you have to fit in the context you're given, which means you know being not being so attached to your style that you can't adapt to the music you're playing in that moment, you know, and, and, and I learned a lot from the listening about that aspect, you know, and those players who, you know, really excelled at doing what, uh, what's right for the music and aren't necessarily stand out. Oh, I play all these notes. They just, play what's right it, you know it feels right right that's a, like it it, it, it kind of takes us back to the top of the conversation with like with language and using what you need to in the right situation and like so like uh, maybe maybe it did pay yeah. off musically <laughs> yeah sure that that's makes cool. total sense mm-hmm. um a couple a couple more questions um can you tell me about penelope houston <laughs> What about her? I mean, yeah, I can tell you about her. I mean, look, the Avengers were my fate, one of my favorite bands um, in the early punk rock days. There was basically three bands that I was obsessed with, and the Avengers were one of them, and the Screamers and the Weirdos were the others. And uh, they would be my favorite bands for until Black Flag was. Um, but, uh, yeah, I just – I loved the way she was uh, – able to you know sort of front that band and uh and i don't know it's just i kind of dug her thing right she had a cool look she had a cool uh approach to it and then and we hung out at one point when she moved to la for a little while we used to go to the y and work out (laughs) but that's basically the extent of my things to say about penelope (laughs) fair enough fair enough um, and with your brother being in the Screamers, um, do you have a or did you do any work with Tomato De Plenty? No, no, I, I roadied for them sometimes, but no, I, I didn't ha- hang out with him. Remember, I was a lot younger than a lot of these guys, so you know, I was in high school still, going to school during the day, and then going to practice after school, and then you know, I'd see people at gigs and stuff, but I didn't hang out with a lot of these people. Gotcha. That's cool. It's a, it's a, such a crazy, cool, small world. And like, but, um, Kira, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to, to chat with me. I really appreciate it. And I really love digging into the new record and, um, yeah, no. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me, Dave. I appreciate, uh, I appreciate your interest. Uh, and I love your perspective on digging into some of the nitty gritty. So, uh, so, I'm glad that we had this chat. Yeah, thanks.